Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is Bakukul Deep Cult, the 23rd. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my review of DL1 Dragons of Despair. I always think of Princess Bride when I think of despair, like the pits of despair, or... I don't know. Just... And of course, my phone. Of course. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, this is my review of uh, Dragons of Despair by Tracy Hickman. I would like to take a moment and, and uh, thank them. Wow, this is not going well. The uh, DL Saga members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the links in the description below. You can also pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials, including this bad boy. But not this. Not, not me. That. Uh, by visiting the link in the description below, you can, uh, yeah, buy it. I don't know what the hell is going on. So for this review, this is really just my perspective. This has been out for so long that uh, I think everyone who has any tangential understanding of Dragonlance has a perspective on the module, whether they've actually read the module or not, and most people have not. Most people have not even actually run the module, so they're just basing their perspective their understandings of this module on the novel or what they think based on what other people have said about this being a railroady novel i'm here to say you out your doggone mind this is as railroady as every module ever created that i have ever read in my entire life it has a beginning it has a purported end and in between, it has situations to help guide players to that end. That's how every module works. That's how modules work. So I, I just, I've never understood how people who have actually read the modules or played through them could possibly think that Dragonlance modules are somehow more railroady than any other module ever. And I am forced to come to the conclusion after having read the novels, it steeped myself far too much as a grown-ass man into Dragonlance and uh, played this damn game of Advanced Dungeons and the Dragons. <laughs> How this could possibly be any more railroady than anything else? And it has to come down to player ignorance or perspective ignorance. They're basing their perspectives on never actually knowing anything about it. That's the only conclusion I can come to, because it is not railroady. And if it is, it's because your particular DM is not very good. And that's really all I can come to. All right, so let's get into it. This was published in March 1984. How many of you watching this were alive <laughs> in 1984? Oh, man. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in live. First and second edition nerd, how you doing, man? I feel like you and I, we have a nostril connection, is what I'm apparently doing. Uh, Dark Titan Media, whoa, how you doing, man? You never heard anyone say that about Dragonlance in your life, and you've played AD since 1983. I can't believe you've never heard that. People have, all I hear is people saying how much Dragonlance is real roadie. It actually kind of frustrates me. Sean, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Can you explain what you mean by railroading? Yes. So railroading is the players don't actually have a choice. 
you as the dungeon master or the module is designed to force players to go to X or Y and do X or Y. They don't actually have a choice in the matter. That's what railroading is. And while every module has a you start here and you end here, everything in between that is player choice. Well, if they go here, this happens. If they go there, that happens. If they do this, that happens. And if they do that, that happens. Ultimately, you're always trying to steer them to whatever the end of the module is because that's why you're playing the module. But there's enough happening in the world around it so that it doesn't feel like you're forcing them to do this or that. And everyone who's ever talked about Dragonlance modules has always said that it's railroady. And it's not. It is not at all. It has a beginning and an end, but everything does. Life does. You come out of your mother's vagina, you end up in the dirt or in ashes <laughs> on the dirt. Like, that's literally it. So you could just say life is railroady, and uh, that's it. And that's shortcutting every decision you've ever made throughout the in-between of you coming out and you going in. <laughs> that's kind of messed up. Um, you started playing d d in 83. Good on you, man. I, um... Gosh, I was in Boy Scouts. I can't remember. I was in middle school. So it had to be the late 80s for me. You were like eight. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, Jason. Good to see you, man. I uh, The 80s were not great, but uh, as a kid, they were pretty awesome. <laughs> if you had no responsibility, the 80s were pretty dope. <laughs> if you had responsibilities, not so good. Um, Wolfen, how you doing? Alive in 84 here. Played as a youth. That's great. All right. So let's get into this. This is by Tracy Hickman. Interesting to note, Laura Hickman is absent from the credit. Now, I don't know if that's because they literally, like, it was just Tracy writing this particular novel because we all know that Laura Hickman had a significant amount to do with the initial concepting of Dragonlance. But the entire Dragonlance team at TSR had all of influence on creating it for what it is to be. So just writing this particular module must have been solely on Tracy. And I have to say, I mean, before I get into it, I think he did a great job. This is a great novel. The way that... And let me just sort of pull back the curtain here. Tomorrow evening, about this time, literally this time right now, I'm going to be running my first session of five in Dragons of Despair, in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So this is in the time that it was released. I'm only referencing modules and novel, uh, um, uh, source materials from that time. So Unearthed Arcana is the next year. It's not even out yet. This is just Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, Monster Manual, and DL1, Dragons of Despair. And there are things missing from this that most Dragonlance fans will consider what makes Dragonlance Dragonlance. There's no Towers of High Sorcery, um, the phases of the Moons of Kryn influencing magic. That did not exist yet. That hadn't been created yet. That doesn't show up until later modules or DLA, Dragonlance Adventures, uh, the source book, uh, the second source book. DL5, Dragons of Mystery, is the first Dragonlance source book. 
Um, it, it's missing stuff like Knights of Salamnia and gnomes and their insane little things because that hadn't been invented yet. That, that was never written. That wasn't created yet. That wasn't a thing yet. So we're talking Advanced Dungeons & Dragons in its core, not 1.5 edition, 1.0 edition. There were not non-weapon proficiencies. There was no such thing as Thacko at this time. This is 100% just stripped down Advanced Dungeons & Dragons gloriness. And for those of you who think AD&D is difficult to play because you have to look at a table to see if you hit a character or not, well, what's more difficult, looking at a chart or calculating in your mind? And I would argue both are as simple as the other. So, like, it, it's it's the easiest thing you could ever possibly do. Oh, what level am I? Okay. And, and where do I have to hit? Okay, well, that's the number I have to get over. That's it. That, how difficult is that? <laughs> Literally, children could do it. So I don't understand why adults complain about it. All right. Renan, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in live. You love Dragonlance. That's your comment uh you own every novel in the month wow every novel good on you man you love Thacko. i love ad and d second edition i think it's a lot of fun but my heart lies with ad and d 1.5 that is the the glory but this module was not even made for that this was made for ad and d and so anyone who converts this to fifth edition or converts it to third edition or second edition or runs the celebration uh, anniversary editions of this module you're not getting the actual vibe of what this meant at the time the only way you can get that vibe is to either invent a time machine travel back in time and play it in the era or play it in advanced Dungeons and dragons 1.0 as created that's when you get the real vibe of this module. Okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself here. The first setting, this is literally, Dragonlance, is the first setting that TSR ever purposely, intentionally, with foresight, created. The only one at the time. Because before that, it was Gary Gygax's Greyhawk, which he just sort of ad hoc created module to module. There was no, like real consideration involved he was just like well this is my game and so i'm just making my gaming world or it was basic dungeons and dragons known world prime material plane and that emerged also through gaming books and some sort of organic development but it wasn't like a thought out this is a campaign world so dragonlance for dungeons and dragons and advanced dungeons and dragons was the actual first pre-planned thought about conceptualized and fully realized campaign world and i know some of you purists are going to complain and argue and are you know disagree with that but it's the facts so you may not like dragonlance but it was planned from the beginning and it's dope as hell so <laughs> sucks to be you <laughs> i may be biased i'm <laughs> just saying uh angel skull how you doing great name by the way angel skull uh you've been more as a hex crawl Oh, it's totally a hex crawl, yeah. With hints and events leading to the PCs to Zaxroth. Yeah, 100%. And we might as well talk about it at the top because this is, this is what everyone compares it to. The novel Dragons of On Twilight, before it was ever conceptualized as a trilogy called Chronicles, but before it was ever even considered anything other than just a singular novel to sell a product, a game product, which is this module... It was written just as an example 
of how players could experience the module. They intentionally left out parts of the modules when they were writing the original Chronicles trilogy because they didn't want to spoil the modules. And what you find immediately upon reading this module on prepping to run characters through it is that it does not follow. You could, if you changed things around and altered and adjusted and stuff, you could run the novels, but it does not, out of the box, even insinuate what happens in the novels. I mean, even once you get into Zack Saroth, which is arguably the most novel-following aspect of it, the dungeon crawl aspect, it's still pretty far off from the novels. I mean, there's so many different ways to get to the end result that you never have to follow what the companions, the infellows, ever did at all. It's pretty amazing. And so, like, the first thing I said to the players, and I've got eight players lined up to play the eight different characters, even though it says this is made for six to eight players. It only provides eight players. So six to eight means the eight players, the eight, you know, characters that you could play. But then it says that Riverwind is always an NPC. Riverwind's one of the eight players. So if there's eight players, but there's only seven options, does one person like play I, I'm sorry does two players play one character like it, it makes no sense it makes no sense at all so this is an eight player campaign back when Dunstan Dragons games were eight to twelve players and yeah I know what you're saying as a dungeon master that's a nightmare and yes it is a nightmare but that's how they planned it out and so that's what I'm doing I'm putting myself through the ringer for my and your and the player's entertainment. So I hope it pays off. Probably won't, <laughs> but I'm hoping that it pays off and it'll be amazing. Um, okay. So what's amazing about this is that we all reflect on Dragonlance, certainly if you've ever followed this channel at all, as this massive, deep historical campaign setting. But by the time that this was actually released, there's only literally like a half a page of explanation about Kryn. There was no information available at the time. They were still brainstorming the details of Dragonlance, and they were sort of riffing. So, for example, when Raceland talks about his test of high sorcery, he was given the test by ancient dead magicians, and he was forced to sort of overcome those ideas. That's written in his backstory. Ancient dead magicians gave him his test. Not Parsalian, who has communicated with Paladine about the future of Kryn and how he needed a sword. None of that. <laughs> it, it was still so far in its infancy that the novel, even the short story, The Test of the Twins, that came out before this module was released by like a month, I think, maybe two. Um, talked in more detail about Raceland's experience than his own backstory as a playing character in this module. So you couldn't even really base playing this in the era that it was released on anything at all, except for your own interpretation of alignment, class, race, and the setting that's provided, which is so minimal that I would argue most people watching me talk right now don't fully understand 
what Kryn was actually like in the Age of Despair. Um, all right, so what do we got for some comments here? And then tell people to try to play GURPS. <laughs> yeah. I actually had some fun memories of playing GURPS, to be honest, but it's, it's one of those universal role-playing game systems that you can kind of do whatever you want. Uh, TSR always owned Dragonlance. It was never something that Hickman and Weiss sold to them, but they were hired to write. Yes, 100%. So, Margo, I'm sorry, um, Laura and Tracy Hickman were hired They to TSR. They traveled over to Wisconsin and to work for TSR, and that's where they developed Project Overlord, which became Dragonlance. They just kind of wanted something where you could ride dragons. And then Dragonlance, I'm sorry, TSR hired a bunch of, literally, they hired like um, survey people to figure out why the business was failing. And they were like, well, you run a game called Dungeons and Dragons and you don't have a lot of dragons. And so they tasked the game designers to come up with adventures or campaign stories or something to like include more dragons. And Tracy was like, aha, Eureka! I have an idea. Let's do a Dragon of the Month, a 12-module series of different dragons in each module, and we bring dragons back to, to Dungeons & Dragons, and people buy our products, and it'll sell like gangbuster. And it actually did, <laughs> it did really well. And they bought it up. Um, that's really like the origins of it. So no, Laura, um, uh, Margot Weiss and Tracy Hickman had nothing to do with ownership, never have and never will, with the intellectual property of Dragonlance. It's an idea that seems to be crazy because they literally defined what Dragonlance was, but they were working for a company that owned the intellectual property, and so the company owned it. They sold it, TSR, sold it to Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast doesn't like it at all, and so they just sit on it. That's where we are now. That's literally what happened. And it sucks for people who love the setting, but that's the reality of it. Um, uh, you love the book since you were a kid, and this is uh, all news to you. Well, welcome, Danjamin. I hope I'm saying your name right. Thank you for tuning in live. Um, yeah, man, like, DL1 Dragons of Despair will bring you back to basics as soon as you read it. You'll understand immediately that this, what most of us nowadays reflect as Dragonlance, had nothing to do with Dragonlance until much later. And you have to then reflect on, well, how did Dragonlance get to be where it is? And it's a torted uh, story of, a sorted, torted, a sorted story of authors and game designers doing their best to do what they love in creating campaign worlds and games, and a company that knew little to nothing about the game they were selling and really were bad at their jobs. And then they sold it to another company that didn't really like the product at all and completely changed it around with D&D 3rd Edition. And then ultimately 4th Edition shit the bed, 5th Edition shit the bed, 5.5 Edition, which has, with all indications, shit the bed. So... It's always been handed off to people who don't know anything about the actual game side of things. They were just wildly successful with the novels because there was an audience that wanted to read about fantasy. And it was just a moment in time that lasted for like two decades, and it's sort of gone the way of the dodo, unfortunately. And those of us who still love it are just sort of suffering from nostalgia, reflection, and consequence, I guess, is, is how you can, <laughs> how I reflect on it anyway. Um, the court case that they went after Watsi over, 
they settled on what was that over? That was over them. So Watsy said that, hey, you can write another Dragonlance trilogy. Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman said, great. And they wrote it. And then they said, here's the trilogy. And they're like, mm, we don't really want to, we don't want anything to do with Dragonlance. And they're like, the hell you don't. You told me you were going to do this. This is going to make us a lot of money. You're going to publish this. And they're like, we don't really want to do anything with Dragonlance. And they're like, all right, I'll see you in court, bitches. They took them to court. And then the in court, they're like, okay, we either have to pay these authors millions of dollars or release their shitty book. Let's just release the shitty book. And so they did. And that's literally how the Destiny's trilogy was released. They were told to write it. Watsy said they didn't want it. And then they released it after a lawsuit. The same exact setup that Joe Maganello had when he said, hey, Watsy, I can write a damn Dragonlance live action series. And Watsy was like, all right, go do it. And so he did it. He came back with it. And he's like, hey, here's the series you said I could write. And they're like, yeah, we don't really want to do that. So go away. The difference between Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman and Joe Maganello is that Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman took him to court. Joe Maganello said, all right, I'll go do something else. That's the difference. They did the exact same thing twice. Mar Wizards of the Coast wants nothing to do with Dragonlance. I sometimes wonder why they even released Shadows of the Dragon Queen if not to just placate the fan base that was screaming in their faces, take my money, give me Dragonlance. And then what did they do with it? They completely changed it from Dragonlance. So that's what happened with that. Why didn't Watsy just sell the property? Because they're not very good. They're like TSR. They're not good at their job. It's really simple math. Like there's a community that is clamoring for a product and they refuse to acknowledge it because it's not going to make their Hasbro board sale levels rise. And so looking at the corporate level, D&D is this compared to all the other board game systems. So they're not going down a corporate level budge when it comes to acting. what okay first of all i'm way off the trail here we're supposed to be talking about this one module i'm sorry people uh where's richard knack and all of this he's not in all of this <laughs> richard knack came on as a hired hand to write legend of huma did so well wrote kaz the minotaur did so well wrote some other short stories and some other stuff but as far as dragonlance goes he's not in the picture in my opinion like certainly not in like making the game at all um, Watsy is beholden to Hasbro. Hasbro owns them. So, yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that you love the rant. Let's get back to the review. All right. So, um, the most important things that one has to remember about DL1 Dragons of Despair and the difference that it immediately sets up with every other version of Dungeons & Dragons game worlds is that it completely changes monetary value. It, it puts monetary value regional and not just regionally, it completely separates it. So gold is useless. And this is an insane idea when you think about it um, as far as like a campaign world and a, a, a game system is concerned. But it really hyper-specifies the state of the world of, An of Kryn and the land of Ancelon. So the reason why gold is worthless and it even says straight up, in Solace, you would more likely find gold bricks holding open doors as doorstops than used in commerce. 
Like that's how useless gold is in this era. It's simply because after the cataclysm, people wanted to claim land. They needed to like raise armies and pay militiamen and buy armor and steel. Steel became the most valuable substance. It made weapons. It made armor. It made uh, war machines operate. It allowed armies to invade and conquer. It allowed mercenaries to run rampant and sell their skills to any for a higher lord or anything, brigand. So it, it literally said commerce is dependent upon war, which is dependent upon region. So in DL1, when we're first introduced to Dragonlands from the very beginning... The dragon armies have already taken over the majority of the continent from go. Like, we're not even given a preamble or anything. We're stuck in this tiny little space within um, uh, uh, Ancelon, the continent of uh, Kryn. And the dragon army is completely encircled around you. Like, 100%. And as soon as your players start the game, the dragon army starts closing in on them. So you are in a time situation like the amount of time they screw around sniffing flowers I, I don't know maybe they want to make bread so they have to like cut out wheat and like crush the wheat grains or whatever the amount of time they take to just do whatever that's the dragon army closing in on them and this is the heart of the railroad argument it's that there are outside forces Closing on your heroes, they only have a finite set of time to get to the conclusion. If they don't make it, they die. This is not different from uh, old NES games back in the day. They were unforgiving. If you died on the ninth out of ten levels, you started at level one again. There were no save points. You didn't get to come back and try that level again. No, you started from zero. That's how games used to be. Advanced Dungeons & Dragons is the exact same way. Oh, you get to zero hit points? You're dead. <laughs> you may bind yourself to stop to bleeding out and stuff, but you're dead. And Dragonlance takes it one step further. Oh, you want to heal yourself? Well, you're going to have to sit around for a full day or a full week because we don't have clerics that can heal in this game. <laughs> this module, there's no healing. The only healing you get is from the blue crystal staff, which everyone is looking for. So if you use it around anyone, they're going to be like, ah, you're the guy everyone's looking for. Hey, hey, dragon army, come over here. Like, you're the reason why people are suffering because you are not wanting to show this crystal staff to anyone. So if you want to use it, oh man, you got to go in like a dark corner or something or hide under a tarp. <laughs> like make sure no one can see you because you're going to get caught and you're going to be called out. It's unforgiving a hundred percent. So for my players for tomorrow, I'm just putting it out there. Don't be dumb because <laughs> I'm not pulling punches here. I didn't pull punch in my fifth age game and people died. I didn't pull punch in my second age, my second edition game and people died. I don't pull punches. So you either, Think on your feet or you suffer the consequences. It's on you. It's not on me. All right? I love you. Thank you for playing. Don't be dumb. That's all I'm saying. All right. So, what do we got here? Yeah, and Wizards Raceland. First of all, here's the amazing part about all this. 
most of the pre-generated characters in this module, there's eight of them, are like fifth to sixth level. Raceland is third. The one guy that could actually save you in a fight by casting sleep or charm person or whatever else is two to three levels lower than everyone else. How messed up is that? He's already set on the back by having the fewest hit points of anyone. But then to add on top of that, he's also lower level by everyone else? That's messed up. That's just... And that goes to old school thinking. Wizards were not meant for combat. They were meant to be protected and huddled around like a football, and the entire team is around the foot. Ooh. Like my microphone, it's not supposed to be around hands shaking. So they're meant to be protected like a football, and the enemies are supposed to be kept away from them. Because what are the what are monsters gonna do? You see someone speaking in a crazy language, doing like hand gestures. Yeah, kill that dude. And if this is in fifth edition, casting takes time. There are only so many segments in a given round and casting spells takes a lot of those segments. So you could very easily in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons start casting a spell at the beginning of the round, have an enemy six, five segments later notice you, shoot an arrow at you, hit you in the big toe doing one point of damage and your whole spell that you just spent five segments casting is gone. 100%. There's no save against it. It's gone. That's how Advanced Dungeons Dragons works. It's so much more difficult. So it's so important for you to protect your magic user. You need to wrap them in bubble wrap and then put pillows on the, like down pillows from goose feathers around the bubble wrap and then pour cement on top. There's like a little straw going from the mouth to the outside, but pour cement around, just put a bunch of dead Baz Draconians around them so they turn to stone, then you can have your magic user out there. It's no joke. It's tough. It's dangerous. All right. Um, so if you know the system is broken, why not just fix it? I don't think the system is broken. I think I think the system is great. I think Advanced Dungeons Dragons is great. The thing with wizards is at low levels, they are weak. At high levels, they can take out armies armies so it's not broke it's just if you want that mass amount of power you gotta work for it and i like that in advance in fifth edition or fourth edition or arguably third edition you were just super bad you could do like just throw spells all the time it was no you never ran out of spells you could throw cantrips and do massive damage and it's a joke you didn't have to earn anything you have to earn it in this game. And I like that. So don't, don't take my criticism or my commentary as negative criticisms. I think it's appropriate and it's earned. I think it's good. That's why when Raceland gets to the point of challenging the gods in the Legends trilogy, I know he earned that. Because you don't get from 3rd level to 18th level without fighting your whole life. Like, you earn that. In 5th edition, getting to 18th level at milestone leveling is just hanging around long enough. That's not the same. It's not the same at all. 
So I've, I've just never understood people adapting Dragonlance to later editions and thinking it's still the same thing. It's completely different. It's not earned at all. You're given stuff. You didn't earn it. Total different mentality. I know I'm like the old man on a porch saying, get off my lawn. I acknowledge that. I understand. But it is a different mentality, and I prefer that way. That doesn't mean that if you prefer 5th edition, it's any less. If it works for you, awesome. Enjoy it. Love it. Play it. Have fun. It's just not my favorite version. That's all. Um, all right. Adam Ranson kills. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, to the dismay of everyone else. All right. So gold. <laughs> oh, that whole rant was just me talking about gold. So gold has no value. <laughs> That's why they use steel. Um Cleric spells don't work because the gods have literally just put, like, cotton in their ears. <laughs> and so, like, for 351 years, mortals on Crane have been, like, crying, plagued, murdered, raped, abused, assaulted. They're like, please help us. And the gods are like, la, 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 la. One guy didn't like us, so you suffer. La, la, la. F you. That's, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to consider, but that's 100% it. It's awesome. Um, and so I like, I like this setup. It means that, yes, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons isn't, is hard, but that's all that anyone knew when this was released, right? They only knew that. So that's not a big deal. They just knew that now healing is taken away. So now we have to be considerate and careful. We have to really think about every encounter. Do we actually want to get in with it, with these hobgoblins? Or maybe we just run. Do we really want to like take time to investigate that spider like spider web covered cave entrance? Or maybe should we just not? Because ultimately it's gonna take you days. And even if you want to fall back on the staff of Mishikal, the blue crystal staff as your healing point, it only has 20 surges in it, 20, 20 um, charges in it. So healing takes charges each time you use it. And yes, it charges one charge per day, but you're in a given day, depending on the terrain, you're rolling for random encounters way more than once. So the chances of you taking massive amounts of damage with, you know, just for Raceland as an example, a 1d4 hit die of hit points, not so good. So you really have to consider when you want to mouth off because mess around, find out, or when you want to really engage in an encounter. And that actually makes it so much better to me. Not as a dungeon master running it, but as a player who loves role-playing. That is what these are called, tabletop role-playing games. You're not just playing a fighting game. This isn't Street Fighter. You, you're playing a role. So when I first set out the uh, email to my players that I was going to be playing this, uh, running this game, I said, look, do not be beholden to the novel versions of these characters. I want your version of these characters. If that happens to fall in line with the novels, that's okay too. But if you want to deviate, as long as you're following the alignment, race, and backstory, interpret it however you want and make your version of the characters. 
I don't want gatekeepers. I don't want people saying Raceland wouldn't do that or Taslahoff wouldn't do that. I want you to own it and just have fun because that's what the game is about. And as long as you understand that, then we can sort of go off. Because let's be honest, I think the novel was released in 84. This was released in November 84. This was released in March 84. So this was before anyone had any idea about who and what the characters were by months. So if you happen to pick this up before the novel was released, you just played it because, you know, and however you played it. You may have used your own characters. You may have used the pre-gen characters or whatever. It didn't matter. And I don't want my players being beholden to decades of novel knowledge when they could just play it in how they want to play it. You know, just have some fun. And here's the other thing. <laughs> it's called Dragonlance, but there's no dragons. It hasn't been around for a thousand years, a millennia. And if we just like nail that concept down, there's actually a saying in Gateway in this, in this adventure. And I don't actually have it down, so I'm going to paraphrase. But it's basically like, yeah, and dragons fly. It's, it's like, yeah, and pigs fly. It's the most ridiculous thought you could possibly think. And so you're saying it out loud because whatever you said to warrant me reflecting that back at you was so outlandish. So for example, I need to take this blue crystal staff to Zaxaroth on behalf of the gods of good to bring the gods back. And there's a black dragon that's going to try to kill us there. Yeah, and dragons fly. Okay, have fun, dude. You're like a crazy person. You're like an insane person. You might as well say Jesus Christ came back to life and he's like trying to eat my brains. That makes no sense at all. Unless you paid attention to the Easter story. But other than that, it makes no sense at all. Like it's so crazy and out there. Like how could that possibly be, right? I love that. It puts us in a situation where this is a moment in time where it's 100% despair. The name is living up to it. This is definitely Dragons of Despair. You have armies circling down in on you, murdering entire communities all around you. You just came back after five years of trying to find evidence of the gods of good with nothing to show for it. And Riverwind and Goldmoon aren't even in the party when you first start this game. They're later. So you start the game and everyone's like, I didn't find like anything. And guess what? There's like a new sea right above us that I didn't even know about. Did anyone see that new sea? That's crazy. All of my maps don't show a sea at all there. And like, it's like the whole state of the world is in flux. Everyone's been plagued and diseased and like mercenaries and, and bandits are everywhere and everyone's dying and everyone's in pain and there's war coming everywhere. This is a horrible setting. And there's no healing. So having no dragons is like a blessing <laughs> until you realize it's in the mail. It's coming. It's so good. So again, if you read the novels, that's not the module at all. The module is 100% different than the novels. For example, I don't want to give anything away to the players, but it's been so long that you should know by now. Um, and the novel when they get to Solace at the very beginning and in there in the, in the last home, Hedrick, the high theocrat of Solace, like sort of finds out about the staff of mages and starts talking smack. He burns himself and stuff. None of that is actually in the module at all. That was just their version of telling the story. And in fact, Fizban is not named at all, though he's present, 
and he sort of alludes to what you need to do to complete the module, the majority of everything is telling you, no, 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 you need to go to, to Haven. Like, New Haven is, like, that's the place that protects Abanasinia. You have plainsmen tribes and their villages out there, but that's not, like, civilized life. No one talks to them. If you want to know answers, you need to get your took us to Haven. They're the ones that are going to protect us. And so the heroes have to go from Solace to Haven. They don't, okay, so I say have to. They don't actually have to. You can literally do anything you want. You can go up to the north, find the dragon armies, go to the south, find the dragon armies. You can go straight to Zaxaroth if you want to for some insane reason. There's no logical reason why you would want to, but you could totally do it if you want to. Or if you just went to Haven, then they would then say, you need to get your tukas to Zaxaroth because these dragon armies are like, hey, we're going to kill you unless you do that. And so we would, we choose life. So maybe you could choose life as well and take your stupid stick to, yeah, please. <laughs> like that's the story. And if you go south to the elves, the elves are just like come out in full force in mass numbers. And they're like, no, we're going to, we're going to kill you if you try to hide in our trees. So um, get to getting. And in fact, maybe we should take you to someone because they, someone told us that we should probably take you to them and, and, you know, get, get to getting. The other part about this is that the novel pays off well because the, the, uh, staff of Mishikal, the blue crystal staff changes into like a normal staff in the module. It does not do that. It has never once anywhere said that at all. It is a hundred percent always a blue crystal staff. In fact, the first time you meet Riverwind and Goldmoon, they're literally sitting in like a, a rock and they're just like singing to each other about like Goldmoon is singing to Riverwind about Riverwind leaving. <laughs> like the song of Goldmoon is not in the inn. It's not Fizzband being like, sing us a song, Plainswoman. I thought you were a good guitar player. No, it's just her sitting on a rock serenading her loved one. And the heroes just happen across them. And they're like, huh, you're, you have a, a pretty voice and a sordid tail. How about you join our party? We're going to the inn for drinks. <laughs> and that's like it. It's so ridiculous. And there's like a, like a situation of like the companions don't invite the two plainsmen into their party initially. Then there's another encounter where you can sort of try to ham fist them into the group and stuff. I've come up with other solutions to make it a little more realistic, which still fit into the campaign, but that's because I'm awesome. <laughs> or, or really mean. One of the two. I'll let you be the judge after tomorrow. So uh, it, it's, it's really funny. It's so dramatically different from the novel that I don't think people actually understand. Like they think, oh, I read Dragons of Autumn Twilight because I'm a human in the 80s. And so I know the story. Y you don't know shit. You don't <laughs> at all. You don't know the story at all. It's so different. And I remember reading the annotated chronicles when they're like making notes like, oh, we didn't include this and we didn't include this and we wanted to change this so that it didn't spoil the module and stuff. And I didn't fully realize how dramatically different it actually was or could be until I actually prepped for this game. And I was just like, huh, <laughs> this is a totally different module. This is a totally different story. Like 100% different. Like not even remotely the same. And if I wanted to follow the novel, I would have to make fundamental changes to the actual module as presented in order to fit the novel. 
That's how different it is. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. I like that. And so it, it keeps your players on their toes. And as a DM, it means you get a little bit more creative freedom. And that's always a good thing because then you can tell better stories. Okay, so what am I talking about here? The racial changes. So, um, it, again, there was no Dragonlance outlined. So there's no idea or concept about Sylvanesty or Kaganesty elves or anything like that. So they said, if you're going to be an elf, this is the first edition. If you're going to be an elf, you have to be a Kaganesty elf. What does that mean? It doesn't matter. No one knows. The game designers didn't even know. You just have to be that. <laughs> you don't have a choice. And by the way, there's no halflings. So Dungeons and Dragons are originally created to hobbits based off Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien's estate said, like, no, we're going to sue you. We didn't give you authorization to create these things or use these. So they're like, oh, we didn't mean hobbits. We meant halflings. Yeah, it's a totally different... It's It's... Totally different. <laughs> right? And so they created halflings. Well, Dungeons and Dragons, Dragonlance was like, we don't even want that. So what about Kender? They're like, well, what's a Kender? Well, it's like an old shriveled man in boy form, but still shriveled, like Benjamin Button. Um, and they're not afraid of anything. And they like to steal a lot. But they don't, they, they get insulted when you tell them that they're actually stealing when they're actively stealing. And everyone else is like, that's gold! <laughs> Which makes no sense at all. But I've grown to love it because, yeah, yeah, Castle of Burford's great. So halflings are now Kender who are fearless. And not only are they fearless and steal shit, they will make fun of you so badly that you will think of nothing else except to murder them where they stand. All of your rational brain is shut off by their insults, and all you can think of is, I have to squeeze the life out of this wrinkled old young person thing, <laughs> and I have to do it now. It's amazing when you think about the absurdity of it. But it's cold, man. So Kender are awesome. And then finally they added something new, which I know people complain about, but I desperately love. And it's gully dwarves. So they appear as these dumb, somewhat pathetic variants of dwarves, except that they're incredibly happy. They're effective at living their lives. They're actually successful in combat and stuff like that too. And survival, number one, they can do it better than anyone else. Um, they're great. I love gully dwarves. You don't meet them until the tail end of the adventure, but I love that they created a whole new cast of dwarves so as to enrich and differentiate Dragonlance from other campaign worlds. So when it comes to branding, let me just sort of take a step back and talk about branding really quick. And it's, I'm not going to go into detail, so it's not going to be anything big. But if you have a product and you want to sell it in comparison to a similar product which everyone does, Coke or Pepsi, you know, whatever, um, Apple or Macintosh, um, <laughs> Apple is Macintosh, um, Apple or uh, Microsoft, you need some sort of differentiating factor. This is the element that separates you from your competitors. Some businesses do it by price point, some do it by quality, some do it by um, uh, brand sort of style, Dragonlance did it by fundamentally changing the game system of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons as players are used to it. 
They cha- They completely removed some races and classes. They completely fundamentally changed some races and classes. They changed monetary systems. They upended the entire game so as to present you with something completely new and fresh and a different take on Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. And that's why it's so amazing. And that's what I loved, that they put so much time and consideration into it in order to make it different. So it didn't feel like... Like, you look at Forgotten Realms. How is Forgotten Realms different than any Prime Material game you've ever played in your entire Dungeons & Dragons life? It could literally be transposed into it at any point. You cannot say the same thing about Dragonlance. It is fundamentally different in almost every possible way. And that's a good thing. It has major differentiating factors. All right. The plot of this is very, very simple. I mean, it, calling it oversimplistic is like an insult. That's how simple the plot of this is. It's There are no gods, and you need to find the gods. <laughs> in order to find the gods, you need to go to the place where the gods' stuff is. <laughs> and that's, you like, distilled down, that's literally as simple as it is. The difficulty of getting there is that people are looking for your shit, and they want your shit, and they want to stop you from finding their shit. So it's them stopping you from getting their shit while they're trying to get your shit while you're trying to get your shit to their shit so you can take their shit. It's really, it's, it's almost like a George Carlin sketch. Like, you couldn't make this into, like, a more simplistic concept. Um, the companions have to go and collect the discs of Mishakal, i.e. the Book of Mormon, <laughs> from Onyx's lair. Uh, however, the story of the module is bigger than that. And it, the, the story of the module is so much greater than the novel in that the oppressiveness of the dragon army is ever-present. And you didn't really get the feeling of that. At least I didn't, never got the feeling of that reading Chronicles. And in fact, I didn't even really get that until I read um, Dragons of Winter Night. That's where you really feel the weight. And only in the second half of Dragons of Winter Night, when you really feel the weight of the dragon army. But it's literally, while you're playing this game, it's taking over. It's like invading Qualinisty. Like as soon as you get into the later modules, like 2 and 3, DL 2 and 3, that's when you are like invading Paxarkaz as Verminard is planning his assault on Qualinisty. Like they're actively invading Qualinisty while you're dressing up as a girl trying to convince the dragon that you just want to play with the kids because they need exercise or some shit. Like it's amazing to think that while you're screwing around at the end of the last home, the entire Kweishu tribe is being slaughtered and hung. And not just the Quality tribe, the Draconians who abused the, dr- the, the tribe and killed them instead of take them as slaves, they were also hung. That's how insane this is. It's so good. It is amazing. This, this module is 100% on fire the whole time. It's so great. So it, it also brought about Draconians or Dragon Men. That Dragonborn didn't exist until 4th edition. That was not a thing, and they stole it from Dragonlance. Dragonlance created the Dragonmen, and they are not Lizardmen. They're 100% different. The whole backstory of them is steeped in arcane and priestly dark magics and twisting of goodness into evil. It's so good. It's amazing. It's what makes Dragonlance Dragonlance. That's how good it is. Um, so draconians are amazing and they're unknown to anyone. So when people start talking about draconians, 
They talk about demons from hell. <laughs> That's how people reconcile in their minds that this new species is attacking and killing them. The hell opened up its gates and demons have come out and they have destroyed my farm and family. And so I had to flee to Haven for safety. <laughs> like that's the story that people are telling you. And you as heroes are just like, dude, I've lived here my whole life and never once have I seen a demon. So what the hell are you talking about? Like that's, and I've been, I, for the last five years of my life, I have been traveling the lands looking for signs of the gods of good. And I have found nothing. And now you're telling me that demons from hell are like, destroying whole villages? I think maybe you've been uh, smoking something or drinking something, or maybe just you're not right in the head because that's insane. Like that's the setup. It's so great because how could you possibly take that seriously? Have you ever met any religious nut job in your life that is just like, Satan has taken over the world. And like they go in big Illuminati conspiracy theories and they weave it all in their insane logic to make it make sense to them. If you've ever met anyone like that, that's what these people are like in this game. Every one of them. They're just like, the world is ending and demons are coming out of hell and they're killing everyone. And, and like, they're not wrong. Like they, like these creatures are new and unknown and killing people and stuff, but it sounds insane. <laughs> it's like Pizzagate level insane, except that was literally insane and made up. And this is in the game. Uh, it's still insane and made up, but it's part of the module. So it's real. <laughs> it's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. The cover art's pretty dope too. All right. What do we got here? Um, and then of course, the first time you run across dragons. What the F is that? No one has seen a dragon for over a thousand years. A thousand! Think about that. Your parents, 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 parents generation never saw dragons. And then suddenly, whoosh. I would shit my pants. Like, just thinking about it makes me pucker a little just to make sure that I don't poop. Like, that's how terrifying the idea is. I love it so much because you've I, I played D&D. The first box cover of Dungeons & Dragons I ever played had a dragon on it. Like, it was the red box with the dragon and the guy, like, fighting him and stuff. Like, Dungeons & Dragons. But in Dragons of Despair, it's not a thing until the second half of the, the entire module. And then you're like thrown in feet first into hell. And you just have to like doggy paddle the insanity of like, oh, this is real. I live in a world where this is real now. I've lived my entire life. Everyone I've ever known, even if I've known elves, have never seen one of these. And now they're here. Okay, so this is, I just have to accept this now. <laughs> That's great. Perfect. It's like prime role-playing opportunity of craziness. I don't know that people actually play it up that way. I wish they did because that's how it's set up. It's a joke. Talking about dragons in Dragonlance when you're first introduced to it in this module, dragons are a joke. They're a punchline. And then suddenly you realize they're real. And you're just like, oh shit. I think I fucked up. I should have been like a farmer. 
<laughs> somewhere in Salamnia because they haven't been invaded yet. Because Solace here in Abanasinia, we're screwed. <laughs> like, there's no getting around it. Oh, I love it so much. All right. So the next thing uh, is there's a variety of elements scattered across the map. You don't have to go from Solace to Crystal Mirror Lake to Darkenwood to Zaxaroth. You could literally go from Solace to Zaxaroth if you want. Or you could go south to Colonisty and then go to Darkenwood and then go to Zaxaroth. Or you could go all the way around and visit a whole bunch of different communities and farming areas and stuff and end up in Haven and then head out from Haven towards Zaxaroth. Or go to Haven, think they're full of shit, and then head to Quilinsty or Darkenwood or whatever. And then, like, all roads, no matter where you go, ends in Zaxaroth because if you don't, the dragon army crushes you and you die and the game is over. So, yeah, there is an end point, so that's the railroad part, but the railroad is you can literally go anywhere. You just have to end up there. And once you get there, it's not a simple thing either of just going from A to B. I took great pains to taking the 3D map presented in this and drawing all the walls and having light sources and everything so that the players literally have to dungeon crawl. And if you have ever looked at Zaxaroth, this was once a burgeoning metropolis that after the cataclysm was destroyed, half of it fell off a cliff is upside down. Another half of it's landed on the ground some 600 feet down on a cliff edge precariously perched with rivers running through it, waterfalls falling down on top of it. And you have to crawl through it. So, it's insane. And there's so many different ways that you can go through this insane dungeon. It's amazing. It is the greatest 3D dungeon exploration that I have personally ever prepped for. And I've never actually played through anything like it ever. It was groundbreaking when it was designed by Tracy Hickman. And arguably, it's still one of the best dungeon crawls full stop of any Dungeons and Dragons game ever. It's great. Now it's not as deadly as like a Tomb of Horrors or something because it's not intended to kill you. It's intended for you to get through it, but it doesn't pull punches. And if you pull like stupid decisions, you're going to end up dead. And it's that simple. And it's not as black and white as the novel makes it seem. Like there's a lot of different ways for you to get to the end. And the end is really getting out of it. <laughs> it's surviving. That's... That's the purpose. But you got to get down there, get the Dissimishy Call, and get the hell out of Dodge. That's the purpose of this module. And by doing so, you bring back the gods of good. It's amazing. This is such a good module. If you've never played through it, or you've played through it in a version of Dungeons & Dragons that's not Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, I would challenge you to try it in its original form, in the form that it was created for, in the form that it was intended because it is a different beast entirely. And it's great. It's so good. I can't wait to run this game tomorrow. I'm so excited. Um, the High Seekers of Haven, you know, running through the, like reading the novel, they seem like a bunch of evil people, the, the High Seekers. Y you have Hedrick, the High Theocrat of Solace. Uh, he's a seeker. And you think, well, he's clearly insane. Like he's, he's a crazy person. So all seekers must be insane. But what you don't realize is the reality of the Seekers. 
They're just an organization that rose up in the absence of the gods, who started out looking for gods, realized that there's no such thing, and so they made up their own gods. And they're doing it initially to make people feel good, to, to give them solace in their life. Not the town, the feeling. Give them a, a, a bit of calm and happiness. And as with anything, when humans are involved, it comes to like a power situation where you want to, you, you find power and you want to hold on to power and get more power and control. And that's really what they did, the High Seekers. They have clerics of High Seekers. They have guards of High Seekers and everything. But they're not inherently evil people. Like the original concept of them is actually good. It, it, it completely redefined the Seeker movement for me reading this module. And because I did not play through this when it came out, because I did not read it when it first came out, my only experience of it was reading the Chronicles and then doing deep, deep dives of like the Leaves from the End of the Last Home and other source books and stuff like that. There's a version of the Seekers in this module where they're actually heroes. Like they're the good guys. And it's the heroes that are, have, that are forced to um, be presented with the concept of being heroes. And that's diametrically opposed to the novels, because in the novels, the Seekers are the bad guys. There's a version that you can tell in this which is compelling and challenging and completely different than anything you've been presented thus far, and I would argue better because of it. And it's presented as the way to play the game. And I love that. It's so much more complex than the black and white version that Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman wrote in the novel Dragons of Autumn Twilight. It's so much better. This module is so much better than that book. And I love that book. I have to qualify that. Um, the Forest Master in Darkenwood? Not a girl. It's a boy. <laughs> So I never thought about gender when it everything has a gender. Every every creature on this planet has a gender, right? Plants don't because they're not creatures, but creatures have a gender. Some creatures can change their gender, some can't. Um, I, I say that because they're literally like Jurassic Park is fundamentally hinged on the concept that frogs can change from boy to girl, which is why I mention it. Um, culture, you know, um, uh, socially. We, and culturally, we have adapted to accept that some human beings do not identify as the gender that they were born, and so they cross to a different gender. I'm fine with that. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me at all. Um, but, like, from the, the physiological side of it, like, everything has a gender. And so I just assumed that Forest Master, like, I never thought about it for the Forest Master, but you show me, it's like when I was a kid. All dogs were boys and all cats were girls. I don't know why I thought that. I have literally no reason to think that. I was never told it. I just assumed it as a little kid. I was just like, oh, well, cats are clearly girls and dogs are clearly boys. I don't know why I thought that. I just did because I'm a stupid kid and I didn't think about it. I assume <laughs> unicorns are girls. I don't know why I assume that. I just do. All unicorns are girls. And The Last Unicorn, maybe that did it to me because it's an amazing animated film that I still desperately love to this day. The novel's not as good as people make it out to be, but it's still good. The film is amazing. Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, how can you go wrong? It's great. Um, Rankin Bass, please. It's amazing. So then 
the Force Master, and this is a dude. And like, even reading the novel, I never got the insinuation. It doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl. It's just like it changes my perception a little bit. Like, oh, so you scratch your balls. <laughs> like, I don't picture a unicorn scratching their balls. I don't even see a horse doing it. But for some reason, I definitely see guys doing it. So if you're a guy unicorn, is that what you use your horn for? You're like, like I got an itch, so... <laughs> like, is there a moment where the heroes come upon the forest master? He's got, like, his left leg up over his head, and he's just, like, digging away with his horn. And he's like, oh, I didn't know you'd get here so fast. That... I, it was it was an itch. I wasn't doing anything else. It was definitely it was definitely an itch. It was hundred percent above the board. I was just scratching an itch. I was not doing anything else. I'm the forest master. Respect. <laughs> like, there's got to be that moment, right? Like I just I don't. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a weirdo. I'm definitely a weirdo. Okay. Um. What else? <laughs> So weird. I love this module so much. It brings up so many insane thoughts in my head. Um, the eight pre-generated characters, I love that only seven of them are supposed to be played. <laughs> why did you give S8 then? Why, why even say it's for six to eight players if one of them is supposed to fundamentally be an NPC the whole game? It's weird. Um, the map was amazing. Uh, the DL tropes that were missing, the Towers of High Sorcery, the Moons of Kryn, the Slamnic Knights, the wargaming aspect of it. It's very much on the ground, buried in the heroes with an artifact, trying to take it to where they need to get it to to find the gods. Um, and I love that it, it just slowly teased these new creatures. We take it for granted now because we think they've always been around forever. But at the time, Draconians were wholly new. And the fact that there was different types of Draconians like different types of dragons wow what does that mean that's cool and they have like special deaths what that's insane that's super cool that's awesome and there's like spectral minions that did not exist before dragonland spectral minions were not a thing and then you realize as you're dungeon crawling zach saroth like some of them are like playing cards on the ceiling <laughs> like they're not all like standing in a a grove threateningly you know menacingly staring at you asking you questions no they're like living their lives they don't even realize they were dead they're just like hey let's get some more grog or stew or i don't know what spectral minions ate before they died but whatever it was in zach saroth and they're like hey let's have some more of that come on let's play cards or kaz or whatever it's amazing. They're just like normal dead people living as dead people. And yet some of them have weapons and they want to fight. And some of them are just like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm just going to live my best on life. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. And of course, gully doors are dope. Here's the other thing. And maybe I'm just an idiot, which arguably I will accept. I didn't realize that in Zach Sarath, there was different clans of gully dwarves. I assumed it was all the same Bulp clan. But no. There are multiple clans of Gully Dwarves, of Agar Dwarves in Zaxaroth, all coexisting being subjugated by the Draconians therein. And you didn't need to add that. It doesn't add anything particularly interesting to the game, but it's kind of cool that you did. Like... Why add different cultures? And here's the thing. I come, like, my ancestry 
is Scottish. And anyone who knows anything about Scottish ancestry, it's difficult. <laughs> Clan life is a thing. Different families and family units and groups that bonded and aligned with family units. And it, it becomes a whole thing. Why would that not transcribe to gully dwarves? Like, is the slud clan of gully dwarf somehow have any animosity toward the glup or the bulp clan? Do they all get along? If they do, why? Why are there different clans if they all get along? Why would they have clans at all? Do they exist in different parts of Zaxaroth? Do they have dominion over different regions? Like, it, has, it, it prompts so many questions in my mind. Like, why? Why even bother with the complexity? You could simplify it, and we would just accept, oh, there's gully dwarves. Okay, that's fine. No, there's different clans of gully dwarves. Why? And it just leaves it open for you as the Dungeon Master players to explore if you want to, or ignore if you want to. That's the level of world building that Tracy Hickman is operating on compared to anyone else. Anyone else in their right mind would be like, who gives a damn? They're a different species. Agar, there you go. Not good enough for Tracy. No, no, no. And I love that about him. Love it. All right. That's the attention to detail that makes this world endured for 40 plus years. Amen, J. Tort? Jajukrit? I don't know how to say your name. Sorry. <laughs> but thanks for tuning in, man. <laughs> Uh, I 100% agree with you. I love it so much. Would there be any belief in Tachesis in this module? No, because the gods don't exist. And in fact, once you actually finally get the discs of Mishikal, it only speaks about the gods of good. Not neutrality, not evil, only good. So you would have no idea about any other gods at all. There's no way you, like, after 350 years, no one would remember anything. Think 40 years ago. Think 50 years ago if you're old enough to think that. There are concepts just from the 60s, which is much more than 50 years ago, that are absurd to today. Then project that back 300 more years. No one would have a clue. So there's no concept of tachesis at all at this point. Um, the end of the folks go, holy crap, the dragons are real. Yeah, I love that so much. It's just so amazing. Uh, you love some Joe Rogan, but he's more of a jock. Hey, Adam, how you doing? Uh, probably would just tease us fans. Wait, what are you talking about, Joe Rogan? Did I miss something? <laughs> if the PCs die, can the player replace them for future sessions, i.e. Gilthanus could be replaced by Portheos? First of all, no, Portheos does not deserve Silvara, or Silvart, <laughs> as she's referenced. Uh, Portheos is a douchebag that doesn't deserve anything but a punch in the nose, as far as I'm concerned. I really don't like that character. He's a dick. I don't like anyone that's just an overt dick for no reason. I get it. You're raised in royalty. I get it. You're an elven prince. You're going to be the next to the throne as soon as your poppy dies. And you have a dragon army invading your people. You have shit on your mind. That does not mean you can be a dick. To your brother-in-law, Tannis Half-Elven, who you were raised with. It, it wasn't like Portheos had a whole life. And then suddenly at the end of it, 
his dad introduced this little child. No, they played together as kids. And he's a whole side, just total dick to Tannis. That's unforgivable to me. Like, there's no reason for it. What? Because he's half human? Did he have a choice in that? It's ridiculous. It's like the racism argument of our world. It makes no sense. And there's no logical reason for it. It's just you being taught to hate for no reason and you acting on that hate for no reason. It doesn't make you better. And it's like the biggest argument of anything that I've always brought up in everything I ever do. You don't have to shit on people to be better, to be a better person. You don't have to put people down to raise yourself up. You could choose to just raise yourself up and let other people do what they do. You could totally, wholly ignore them. You don't have to shit on them. That's a choice. Why spend the energy focused on other people and hating other people when you could instead focus on bettering yourself or, or, or celebrating the people that you choose to love in life? That seems like such a better option and such a, like a reciprocating good thing. I just never understood it. And to have characters like Portheos just being a dick all the time, like Derek Crownguard, get the get out of here, dude. Like you don't, you deserved your fate a hundred percent. And Portheos definitely deserved to be ousted when he was ousted in the fifth age because he was a dick. So screw him. Uh, was this the first of Tracy Hickman's works for TSR? No. <laughs> they illegally, Laura and Tracy Hickman illegally released um, two modules for uh, Advanced Sons and Dragons before they realized that it was illegal to do so. And then TSR saw those modules and how good they were doing and, <laughs> and like offered them a job. I mean, that's the long and short of it. They eventually went back, published official versions of those two modules. It was like Pharaoh and... Um, Mm, I don't remember the second one. But anyway, they're like desert-type mummy novels or whatever. And then they created um, I, IE6 or something like that, which was Ravenloft, which is the very first Ravenloft supplement. And it was just meant to be a romantic, uh, dark, gothic Dungeons & Dragons story. And it ended up being so good that it spiraled out into other Ravenloft modules, which then forced Ravenloft to become its own campaign world and like everything else. So Lauren Trace Hickman are renowned uh, storytellers and game designers, and they deserve all of the credit for everything they've ever done because they are truly amazing. And even Laura Hickman's short stories are great. Like she did one with Goldmoon, um, going and finding like this 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 cave on some sort of quest or something in the tales trilogy or anthology, and she like meets her mom's spirit, who then tells her that the gods are real and to stop ancestor worship and stuff, and it's a beautiful, desperately touching short story. I mean, it's so good. So the Lauren Trace Aikman are really good at what they do, and, and they've done a lot before this even came on, on the, the scene. And that's why it's so amazing that they put so much time and effort into it, because they could have literally done anything else. And they spent so much energy into Dragonlance that it's shocking that they ended up getting ousted from it <laughs> in the future from it. It's so crazy. 
Uh, that's why you've always loved Raceland Majir and Tasseloff the best. London Knights seem to be uptight in some way. Hey, Lady Casper, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the story and it depends on the player, but I think, I think, I think everything in everything in any game can be as good or as bad as you make it. You know, it's it's really just how you interpret it. But yeah, I mean, I like the I like the fact that there's this this holy order of knights that are basically like paladins um, that end up falling to obscurity, hunted, killed, and then become like dirty versions of themselves and then they have to build themselves back up like there's something beautiful about that because it speaks to the human condition and this is what i love about gaming so much in general um the aspect of storytelling is that it's all fundamentally based in our own human experience that's why we relate to it so much um salamic knights are as dirty and gritty and desiring of honor and and uh, righteousness as humans are in general. And we fail to achieve the standards that we set for ourselves most of the time, if not every time. But it's the act of striving for that greatness that we set upon our shoulders that makes us what we are. It's the 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 pursuit of perfection. And that's why I love America so much is it's the, it's the, um, uh, uh, America is the promise of a better nation. It's the pursuit of happiness. It's not that we're a great place because <sighs> we're not, and we've done horrible things as a country, but we're trying to be better. That is written into our constitution. We are trying to be better than what we are. And that's what humans are. We try to be better of whatever that means to you as a human, whatever your version of better is. And it does differ per human. And that's okay. Whatever your version is, you always try to be the best version of it. And you may never reach it. Or, you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have to go through phases of life to get to a point where you can aspire to greatness. And then you may never even achieve that greatness, but you're going to continue fighting for it because you deserve it. You deserve better than what you have now, and you can get better than you are now. You can become, you can work at it and, and achieve greatness. You just have to want it. That's great. That's not something that everyone's taught in life. That's something that a whole new country had to be founded on the premise of for a people to understand culturally that we could strive that. That's a Western ideology that did not exist before. And to have that buried, steeped into a game system of, you know, building your character, making your character better and growing, that's the human condition. That's great. I love that. I love the pursuit of happiness. All right. The hero's journey. 100%. Exactly. That is what I should have said <laughs> instead of my diatribe. All right. I've been talking for well over an hour. Um, buy this module and play it because <laughs> it's great. I actually have so many more notes that I'm not going to get to. Um, I love Dragonlance. That's why I run this channel. That's why I spend so much of my life talking about it and playing it and reading it and being steeped in it. There's so much about it that is just genuinely good storytelling-wise. This module started it all, and I can't wait to play it tomorrow, and I hope you all have an opportunity and you... Um, uh, Offer yourself the opportunity of vulnerability to play it in the way that it was created. For Advanced Dungeons & Dragons game system, 
and just run with it. It's tough. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to work together. You can't just run through and hack and slash. But that's a good thing. You're going to have to role play. You're going to have to be your character. And that may be different than the novels. And that's okay too. Just own it. I can't wait. So definitely check it out. All right. So that is Hey, Sean. Thanks for tuning in. You need a part two of this? I don't know if I have it in me, <laughs> to be honest. All right. That is it. That's all I have for you. That is my review of DL1 Dragons of Despair by Tracy Hickman. What do you think of... Uh, I didn't update my text. Okay. What do you think of the introduction to Dragonlance? Did it live up to your expectation now that you've seen this whole world fleshed out in whole different ages and stuff? Does it still hold the allure for you? And would you ever go back and try it in the game system that it was created for? Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Let me know in the comments below. You can always email me at info.dlsaga.com. Before we get out of here, I'd like to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and this channel's content. And again, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga and all of its brews and disgustingness and changes and game system alterations. Whether you like each system or not, it doesn't matter because Dragonlance is persistent and it is gold. And... That's a bad analogy because gold doesn't exist in Dragonlance, but if it did, <laughs> so Dragonlance is steel. <laughs> That's as good as gold, right? All right. Till next time, my name's Adam. Slanjavara.